together we are building something amazing that helps people feel good, that helps people um, understand that the decisions that they make every day make an impact on their health and the health of the planet. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Gut health is a topic of growing interest in the realm of wellness. Beyond the basic idea of eating healthy foods that are good for you, a healthy gut is one that contains bacteria and immune cells that ward off infections. According to medical experts, a healthy gut communicates with the brain through nerves and hormones, which helps maintain general health and well-being. More awareness of that connection is why you see the selection of cold-pressed juices and probiotics growing at your local grocer. Minneapolis-based So Good, So You specializes in juice shots. Yes, shots, two-ounce drinks packaged in what looks like little medical vials and packed with probiotics that support your digestion and immune system. Whether or not you buy into all that, let's just say it's a very good time to be in the business of selling a shot called immunity. But what really is interesting about So Good So You is that they didn't start out selling juice shots. The story of this fast-growing national company is one of focusing on the larger mission and reacting quickly to market trends. I know you're going to enjoy hearing from So Good So You founders Rita Katona and Eric Hall. Well, hello, Rita and Eric. I'm so excited to have both of you here today. And I mean, actually, here. Now, here is not the old By All Means studio. We can't be on campus at the University of St. Thomas in our tiny little studio. But we have managed to cobble together. Let me just paint a picture for everyone. We are in the home studio of our sound engineer, the one and only Tom Ferlitti. And we are actually looking at each other through a glass wall. So it's the pandemic studio. We love it. <laughs> but it's We're nice. here for it. <laughs> it's nice to be out of our homes. That's where the two of you have been working throughout the pandemic for the most part. Yeah, for about six months now. And this is probably the highlight of our week, getting <laughs> getting to leave the square mile radius of our home. So thank you so much for having us here. Well, it's definitely the highlight of our week. I'm, I'm sorry if this is the highlight of your week. But. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we did kick things off, as I'm sure you do many things, with a juice shot. And that's what we're here to talk about, beauty. So I'm just feeling just kind of like effervescent. Is, does it really do something? Tell me what your shots do. Yeah. So each of our Functional Shots has a plant-based hero ingredient in a studied and efficacious amount. So the beauty shot that you and I just did to kick off our, our interview has 10 milligrams of silica, and it's a highly bioavailable form. And silica is actually an essential building block that your body needs to produce collagen. So we've seen the explosion of collagen products all over the market in both um, edible beverage and topical products. But the reality is 
those collagen ingredients are generally animal derived, which is kind of an icky process if you do the research and look into it. And the reality is that our bodies have all of the tools with the exception of this silica building block. So once you intake silica, your body can make collagen. So I'm going to be like 10 years younger by the end of this interview. Yes. Right? As I'm yep. processing. Already happening yep. right now. <laughs> good, good, good. Thank you. Eric, which shot did you do? I'm trying to remember. What did I do? I did a detox did shot. Yeah. Okay. So detox, uh, its power ingredient is blue-green algae in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one thing that's really great about all of our products is that we firmly believe that food is medicine and that if we are able to give a significant amount of an active ingredient or a hero ingredient, we can make that uh, option more convenient for the consumer, for the end customer, and help make their life better. Hmm. Well, we're obviously going to talk more about where the company is at today. But before we do that, let's go all the way back. Tell me just a little bit about what what were you each like as kids? Were you entrepreneurial? Were you, you know, running lemonade stands? (laughs) Sum up your childhood for me, if each of you would. Do you want to go first? Sure, I can go first. So I grew up in Hungary. And uh, with living with uh, the same household as my grandmother, and she had a massive garden. And so we ate all of most of the stuff that we ate was grown in house on our, our in our massive home garden. So uh, in a way, I'm kind of returning back to my roots now with with this business. But growing up, I wanted to be a businesswoman, as as vague as that sounds, but. I guess I've achieved it now, um, yeah. and and I always did have um, an entrepreneurial dream in my heart. But having gone, um, we immigrated to the U.S. when I was eight years old uh, from Hungary, and so um, I grew up uh, having it kind of instilled in me that you go to school, you go to college, you get a good job at a nice big corporation, you get a salary with a four hundred one k and health insurance. So. Um, my parents didn't necessarily encourage uh, entrepreneurial tendencies. Um, however, it was it was something I was secretly incubating in my heart, I think, all along. And I'll, I'll let Eric talk you, about his upbringing. Before we do that, Eric, yeah. Rita, I'm curious, do, would you have been able to articulate that? I mean, do you think you would have talked about sort of secretly wanting to be an entrepreneur when you were younger? Probably not. But later on, I, I, I'm an ideas person, so I was always looking at problems that needed to be solved. And, and even my um, college thesis, um, which I actually sent into General Mills because it was, it was identifying that there was a white space in um, the European market for refrigerated dough, Pillsbury dough. Wow. And so I wrote a business plan and just cold call style sent it into General Mills. And lo and behold, I got to have an hour long call with the VP of international what whatever 15 so years ago. Amazing. Um, yeah. So it, I, I did kind of have those desires, though I don't think that I would have been able to articulate it. And you did do what your parents wanted you to yes, do. Yes, I got did. The, but, but it wasn't General Mills. It was Target. It was tar- Well, first it was Home Shopping Network. So okay. um, I went to school in Florida and I got a job at Home Shopping Network for, first as a copywriter and then got into the merchandising, buying career track and grew very quickly there, um, was the health and nutrition buyer there when I got recruited by Target and then was at Target for about seven years in many different um, areas of buying as well as sourcing. And when I left in 2014 to start So Good So You, I was running teams in five different countries overseeing sourcing over 
home textiles through um, for for all of home uh, categories at Target. Okay. Meanwhile, Eric, where did you grow up? I grew up in Minnesota, although originally born in Jersey. And uh, my upbringing is a little bit different. So both my parents were research scientists. They had doctorates in food science and chemical engineering. And so I learned at a very young age when you're given an odorless, tasteless piece of rice paper that maybe smells like chocolate but tastes like a cheeseburger, (laughs) you learn very quickly that just because something looks like food, smells like food, tastes like food, doesn't mean it's food. Or more importantly, just because something's edible doesn't mean you should eat it. So Valuable life lesson. When my parents moved to Minnesota, um, my mother said she'd had enough of that in the megalopolis and started a hobby farm south of Hastings, Minnesota. Uh, and in the 80s, she pioneered organic standards. We had, uh, she uh, went up to the legislative level uh, and, and to the point that she was actually touring in Europe and in the Soviet Union teaching organic standards. So mine was kind of an interesting upbringing there. And definitely my mother was more of an entrepreneur. And I took that to heart. So where Rita, uh, Rita climbed the corporate ladder, um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my seventh company. Uh, it's the first in CPG, but all have been in health and wellness, trying to make a difference or a positive impact with individual lives or in the world in general. He was also slave labor on the farm oh, totally. to his, to his <laughs> yeah. parents. So I think we yeah. talk a lot about the work ethic that um, we both have and that members of our company have and especially the ones that have been with us for a long time through, through thick and thin. Um, there seems to be a, a common thread. A lot of them have worked on a family farm at one point or another. Interesting. Yeah, well, nothing it, teaches you harder work than a farm. I have the utmost respect for any farmer out there, for any small business, any family business. But yes, my uh, sister and I were, well, let's just say my mother had about, we had about 130 acres. At one point, we had 15 acres of strawberries, an acre of blueberries. We had 3,000 ducks and geese that we raised for Lunds and Byerleys. And there are pictures floating around somewhere of my sister and I sitting on the back of sleds that were being pulled by a tractor, and we were planting the strawberry field. And what would happen, it'd go very, very slow, and you'd take one hand as far as you could reach out in front of you, and you'd scoop up the dirt, and you'd take from this middle sled a, a strawberry plant. You'd put it in, you'd pat it around really quickly, and then you'd try and get some water on it before the next time you had to do this. <laughs> and we did that for about four years, planting all of that. So. And you didn't grow up to want to be a strawberry farmer. I did not grow up, but I still <laughs> love strawberries. Oh, the taste of strawberries and lemonade just speaks summer to me. Absolutely. So how did the two of you meet? We met at a friend's yoga studio. Um, It was a faded evening about nine years ago. It was Mm -hmm. at the end of August. And um, I walked into the yoga studio. It was the grand opening party. Um, I had walked over from um, my condo downtown and had my, my little dog with me. And it was hot. And as Eric will tell his part of the story, my dog was panting heavily. But we walked into the studio and... uh, this guy that was Eric walked up to me and said, excuse me, would you mind if I gave your dog some water? (laughs) And my immediate reaction outwardly was, yes, of course, that's very nice of you. But inwardly, I was like, who is this guy? And does he think that I'm not going to take care of my dog and give him water? So then he proceeded to ignore me for two hours. 45 minutes. (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> is that is that the strategy, Eric? No, it wasn't a, a strategy at all. Honestly, I was having a great conversation with some friends, and I look up and I see this devastatingly beautiful woman come in the front door. And there is this, this beautiful little Maltese, but panting so much, and it's you know ninety degrees outside. So I immediately go up and and off made that offer. I get Jack, which is a dog, a little water, and I walk away. And a minute later, I'm like, wait a second, you're single. She's cute. Why didn't you talk to her? <laughs> so I spent the next 45 minutes trying to, you know, talk to other people and find out if they knew information about Rita and finally just walked up and had a, had a conversation. So. so how quickly did the two of you start strategizing and talking about business? So fast forward a year and a half when we got engaged was when I think all of that came to a head, but small island in Mexico. Yes, With, within a, within a month of us meeting, he was basically moved in and didn't ever leave. Um, and officially, a couple of months later, moved in, and then we got engaged uh, a year and a half after. And and you're still working at Target at this point. I'm still working at Target. Okay. Yep. And we got engaged on a little island um, in north, like north of Cancun, called Olbash, and it's just heaven like there's no cars you have to take a ferry onto the island and there's dogs running around because they can't go anywhere and people driving golf carts it's very very lovely and uh, we're talking about what do we want to do next in our lives because we met kind of later in life he was in his late 30s I was in my early 30s and um, what do we want to do in this next phase together and the, the shared passions that brought us together were uh, health and wellness and wanting to help people be healthy and feel good in their bodies. And also this shared passion for the planet and uh, the environment. And the reality is that the intersection of those two things um, is plant-based lifestyles, plant-based diets. And so that that's ultimately what started the conversation. And I had had this business idea to start a juice company because it was a void in the Midwest at that time. And we said, kind of flip a coin style, well, either we leave Minnesota because we don't like cold weather and we both before meeting had always talked about we're going to leave eventually. So either it's time to leave and we move somewhere else or we start this company because the opportunity felt like it was here regionally um, hmm. in the Midwest. And we flipped the coin and here we are. <laughs> here you are. Well, lucky us. Um, so what was the earliest iteration of So Good, So You? And, and did you have the name right away? So it was Juice So Good first. Okay. Um, and the earliest iteration, we were reminiscing about this recently. <laughs> we launched, um, so the earliest iteration was supposed to be Juice Bars couple of starting with one downtown and then we thought maybe they'll, they'll there would be more um, but in the early days of coming up with a brand name and the launch strategy of how we would get people to try the product and incorporate it into their lives we came up with this idea somebody pushed a piece of paper in front of us that had a picture of a green food truck on it, juice truck. And immediately um, we got really excited about that and said, okay, that could be a great way to launch and promote the product. And so the first launch or birth of the brand was before our juice bar was even open. It was an, a late April weekend and Lululemon was having their first ever warehouse sale at the convention center. And we knew that the early adapter target market would be 
the customers that are buying Lululemon, the, right. he- the health and fitness-minded uh, individuals. And we thought, what a great way to introduce our brand to thousands of people that will be at the convention center. And Who will stand outside waiting to get into that sale for exactly, hours. Exactly, right. exactly. And I also actually have a background as a, a fitness and yoga instructor and was a Lululemon brand ambassador. And so they had always been extremely supportive of my branching out in and uh, following my entrepreneurial dreams specifically in this health and wellness field. And so uh, initially they even offered to stuff flyers into every bag that people bought product from. Um, And then ultimately corporate did not support that as much as the local teams did, but we drove up with the juice truck and parked it right outside the convention center. And Now I will say to back up and set the stage very appropriately. So while while we had this idea, we were also looking at starting a cafe downtown. And early on, we saw that if we needed to really produce juice for the masses, that we'd have to have an off-site production facility. Now, neither of us come from a food background. So the first eight to 10 months was learning food licensing, food regulations, um, how to build out a plant, what in, what what uh, equipment do we need? Where were we going to get the, the ingredients and the raw products? And it, you know, licensing Packaging. through the FDA, MDA, but it all comes to this culmination of this event that Rita's talking about. And the day before the event, we finally have enough team members, enough equipment, enough produce, and we're going to make juice for the first time. 13 or 14 hours later, I think we had about 100 bottles of juice. It is now 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning. The event starts at 6 or 7 the next morning. Our team is exhausted. They can't even talk, and we say, we've got this. Please go home, sleep. We'll get a little bit of rest. We'll come back in the morning. We'll load it up, and we'll be at the event. So we go home. We get about two and a half, three hours of sleep, wake up, Go back to the facility, load, load up, up the truck, truck, get everything's done. That takes about two hours, and we get to we the get event. To the, we get to the event, and we were praying for sunshine at least because April is not super warm in Minnesota. And unfortunately, it was an overcast day, and it was about 40 degrees and uh, a lovely um, – a uh, law enforcement professional came and reminded us that we had to be a certain amount of space away from the convention center, so we couldn't be quite as close as we needed to be. So ultimately, we we could see the line, but there it, we weren't as close as, as we wanted to be, and, and it was cold, and people didn't really want juice. And so ultimately, that big launch that we had work at, worked up to was a little bit of a wah-wah moment. And we sold maybe like half a, dozen, half a dozen bottles. And they were somebody who was affiliated with the company who <laughs> came over and brought their friends and family to, to buy product. So, so then what? Yeah. What do you do next? Well, fast forward. And th- that's part of entrepreneurship, right, is you can't let any single failure stop you. You have to keep going and iterating. And so that was... Our launch moment, however, that wasn't the end-all be-all. A couple of months later, our juice bar opened. And in the meantime, we went to local yoga studios, several core power locations where we did uh, cleanse programs because with our larger format, 16-ounce juices that we initially launched with, the format that people really uh, use to incorporate that and, and to start incorporating juice into their lives was to do a three-day juice cleanse. That was a big um, trend at that time. And the beauty of the juice cleanse is 
you feel amazing afterwards and you want to keep feeling amazing. And so that kind of light bulb turns on for you and you decide, well, I'm going to have at least one green juice every day and that's how I'm going to start my, my day. Um, and that was a wonderful way to introduce the brand and also to build community and connect with people because the way that we introduced the brand and introduced them to this product and the lifestyle was going into yoga studios, people signed up to do these three-day cleanses and then um, on a specific day, I would come and personally do a kickoff and talk to people about what do you eat before a cleanse, what to expect while you're doing a juice cleanse, tips and tricks and and whatnot and there would be a special yoga class so it was a, a really wonderful way for them to get to ask questions and um, also to build the community around this but I'm curious given that neither of you had a background in juice or in food you weren't chefs how did you even arrive at your first r- recipes did you hire somebody to did you know what you wanted in these juices yeah so we're all we're both foodies um, and have Eric has a very sensitive palate. He's a super taster, whereas I'm more the I think I have a knack for identifying what consumers want in in flavor. Um, so how we went about the the recipe development, I did it all in our kitchen. I still do um, benchtop development in our our kitchen, um, and. Now we work backwards from identifying a hero ingredient and then building the flavor profiles around that. Um, In the early days where it was more about just getting a delicious blend of different beneficial fruit and vegetable juices, and it was about making it taste as delicious as possible so that people would incorporate it and use it regularly. Because the reality is the mass consumer is not going to choke something down no matter how good it is for them, we had to make it taste good. And what, I mean, just in a, in a nutshell, what was different about your juice compared to, you know, you think about like even the high-end juices that we see at the grocery store, like a naked juice or, so, or something like that. What was different about what you were putting in a bottle? Yeah, so our the, the category that we play in and have played in is the super premium category, which is actually a different price point and completely different technology and methodology to a naked juice or an Odwalla juice. Those juices are heat pasteurized. Um, Our juices are cold pressed. So taking fresh raw fruits and vegetables, juicing them fresh, bottling them, and then the kill step that makes it safe is high pressure processing. So as opposed to heat pasteurization, which kills the nutrients and changes the flavor profile. And that's um, what's widely used for most like other large brand orange juices, other juices. Um, The super premium category is this high pressure processed category. Okay. So you get your first juice bar open. Yep. Downtown Minneapolis. Yeah. Is it an instant hit? Pretty much right out of the gates. Yeah. It was we we had signs up, people were really excited and then when we opened they they just came. There was nothing like it at the time and downtown Minneapolis is um is kind of a, a conglomeration of, of people from everywhere in the Twin Cities. They come and they work there. And and it was a great way for us to market test the idea. And it was successful right away, which allowed us to go into wholesale very quickly. So by that first summer, we were having meetings with Kowalskis and Lenz and Byerleys, who continue to this day to be phenomenal partners. 
And um, by July, I think, of that first year, we were in wholesale. Mm -hmm. So the original business plan, and I'm going to guess, Eric, given your background, that there was a real business plan. There was. (laughs) Um, Rita, would you say that, would you have had the confidence to to leave Target and do this if not for, for Eric and his entrepreneurial background? Um, he definitely pushed me off the ledge, if you will. Uh, but but it was happening. And originally, Eric was involved as a supportive spouse and got kind of little by little pulled in because of the momentum and the need of the company. So originally, the plan was not that we're both all in. And also during that that planning period before you actually launched, did you keep your day job or did you when did you quit? Yeah. So I quit January of 2014, and we got engaged April prior to that. So for about seven months, the planning process was happening. And I actually um, would bring in some of my the concoctions and different blends of, of juices and, and nut milks that we were working on. And my team would taste and give me feedback, not really knowing why I was doing that. But and it didn't seem out of place either, because I was that go to person for everything health and nutrition related. Sure. I was the well-being captain <laughs> at Target. <laughs> So, um, yeah, nobody really thought that that was odd that I was coming to work with like eight different bottles of juices and whatnot and having people taste them. Eric, what was the best advice that you gave Rita early on? Maybe I should ask Rita what was the best advice that Eric gave you early on. Life is short. I mean, the the reality is, is you do not regret what you try. Hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I would agree. It was, like I said, we met late in life. Um, and even though I had this idea, I did not have an outside impetus pushing me to execute. And the longer that I waited, the harder it is to leave because Target and the corporate world in general, but Target is such um, a, a wonderful uh, corporation. And it wasn't that I didn't like working there. And the longer that you stay and you keep getting promoted and have great experiences and it's a, a great culture, um, it gets harder and harder to leave and do something different. But ultimately, I really always wanted to do something where I had more impact and specifically impact on these areas that I'm so passionate about, which is health and wellness and the environment. So our company's tagline, our mission, our battle cry is for the love of body and planet. And that comes across in everything we do from the quality of the ingredients that we pick to our packaging with the launch of the new Better Bottle to even how um, our plant operates on 100% renewable, sustainable energy. Every decision that we make goes through that lens of, is it good for human health and is it good for the health of the planet? So when did you change the name um, from Juice So Good to so so good, so you, yeah. and and also talk about the the transition because what was the, what was the peak of cafes or or juice bars that you had? How how many did you have? So at the peak, we had three juice bars, um, all in the kind of downtown uptown area. One was a pop up location or a, a store in store location inside the Kowalskis on Hennepin Avenue in uptown. And we had a a really lovely flagship uh, cafe that was a full-service food and juice bar in um, downtown Minneapolis, Skyway, just outside of Target corporate headquarters. So three locations. But then you decided to close them. Yeah. So so late last year, that was a tough decision. 
Eric, I'm talking a lot. Do you want to? Okay. <laughs> you have a lovely voice. Well, so. So, so which came first, the name change or the decision to kind of switch gears? The name change definitely did. Yeah, we had, um, uh, true to what Rita had said, I mean, with any entrepreneur, your, your job is to listen to consumers and to iterate. And so while we initially launched with a large format 16-ounce juice that was able to bring nutrients to people, um, we had other product lines that we had tried along the way. Um, and pretty soon, Juice So Good became Coffee So Good. And I think we even did like a baby food at one time. So Baby baby So Good. And it became very hard to have a brand continuity to that. And so when we looked at that, we knew we had a need to actually centralize with the name. And so we went through a lot of different iterations. And at that time, Juice So Good's slogan was actually... So good, so you. Yeah. And so what we found through not only trademark attorneys uh, as to what we can protect, but more importantly, what consumers already knew us by that had an emotional connection to the brand was that So Good, So You that was in front of us right from the get-go. So we quickly changed and rebranded to So Good, So You. I want to say that was probably 2017. Mm-hmm. And so you changed the name of the cafes as yes, well. exactly. Yeah, and, and we did that actually... Yeah, right before we mm-hmm. opened more. So the first cafe was the last one to have a, an so official good. rebranding. We rebranded the Juice So Good original cafe and baker building to So Good So You. But Uptown and the flagship location both opened as So Good So You. And then our, our you know, over the course of the next couple of years, as we opened up the other two, they were wonderful destinations. And the food was absolutely amazing. Thank you to any of the listeners that actually were able to go to those cafes and enjoy the food. Please reach out to us if you need one of the recipes. Um, <laughs> they are laborsome. I'll warn you with that. Um, and it was true to our mission of trying to make plant-based eating um, more convenient for people. However, as we launched a new product line, which is the Wellness Shots in 2017, and as the phenomenal growth has just happened in that category, and as we become category leaders in that, it became very clear to us that in order to support that growth and be true to our mission, we needed to focus. And so we made the very difficult decision in December of last year to close all three cafes. Hmm. And I say that the decision was not difficult from a financial standpoint, meaning that our growth was clearly in one area. But the difficult part was the emotional connection we had to the cafes, and more importantly, the investment we had to the team members there. So we brought them into the fold on that decision. We helped them plan the exit. We said, we will take care of you. Please help us take care of our customers. Uh, And we were able to um, close that division of our business to focus on wholesale in a way that felt right and uh, true to our team. So, okay, so many questions. First of all, um, were juice shots, and when you're talking shots, you mean you mean they're they're like little like test tube size, yep, two ounce. take mm-hmm. them in one gulp, down it, very concentrated formula, yes. right? Different than what was in the the sixteen ounce juices. Different in that in the proportions. So, you're absolutely correct in saying they're concentrated, but not in the way that there would be a juice concentrate, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And an important distinction. So, for example, we had a 16-ounce juice that had a lot of ginger in it. Our our immunity shot has more ginger in it than that 16-ounce did. So it's the proportions that are different. So within... Burns so good as it goes down. I love that ginger (laughs) shot. Um, Were shots something that was even in the original plan? Were you thinking shots when you started this business? No. Well, at the cafes. 
So yes. the, the, the reality is, is that we always had an immunity shot at the cafe, except there was more of a ritual. People would come in and very much like a, um, uh, a bar would do in a, in a wonderful way. Uh, you'd have a jigger of ginger and you'd make this with a little orange juice. And it would actually be made at the to time, order. we had ginger, turmeric, and we had the E3 Live. And the orange, slot would sh- uh, the orange slice would go on the top, yes. much like you would well, a tequila shot. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we would have yeah, three, five, ten people come in around happy hour time or two o'clock, you know, mid midday break. They bring their colleagues and they'd have this ritual of doing this immunity shot. Well, we this was ha- on the menu, like you this told was us. on the menu, absolutely. Okay. And we had a few other shots there, but immunity by far was was the one that was most popular, especially in Minnesota in the winter. Yeah. Um, and for the first couple of years, while we had the large sixteen ounce juice, you know, the consumer trend at that time was looking to drink their nutrients. Right? They wanted a healthier, more nutritional balance to their beverage. But pretty soon, they started to ask for, "That's great, but what does it do for me?" And that's where we turned to a resource that we saw already had traction in our cafes, which are these juice shots. And we said, we can answer that question of what does it do for me with a perfect balance of function and convenience. And then by design, we actually involved a a bottle that looks very reminiscent to a medicine vial. Therefore, we take that uh, intuitive connection for the consumer one step closer that food is medicine. Hmm. So really, the the rest, the cafes led you to the product that is now your hero. Absolutely. You had to go through that. Mm -hmm. Um, Being in the cafe business very different than wholesaling, were you profitable when you were running three cafes? Depending on the month and depending (laughs) on the year. Yeah, at times, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. it, it fluctuated. I, I would definitely say in the beginning, the cafe, absolutely. And at certain times with all three, yes. As we grew in wholesale, what was very clear was that the cafe's strength for our brand was a connection with the consumer. Being able to have an innovation incubation center where we can try new products out, listen to consumers, iterate and respond very quickly before we roll it out to wholesale. It was also the first touch point that we would have to be able to build a brand around um, the, the products that we were creating. Okay. So it, there was never a plan to do juice bars around the country. That That wasn't ever the... Not necessarily. We saw it as a a regional play because there's juice bars up and down the coasts Mm -hmm. already, but there was a void in the Midwest market. Sure. And I should ask, I mean, it it takes some money to to get started, not just with the branding and the packaging, you're wholesaling and you're operating these cafes. That's a lot of overhead. Did you have investors? Was it your own money to start? Both. Yep. We we invested our own money and then have had some, up to this point, some um, wonderful angel investors. Investors help okay. support the growth. Early on, or did you have to kind of prove yourselves before you could go get those investors? Both. There was um, one early on angel investor, and then we very quickly, as we grew, we saw that we needed, we're going to continue to need more and more money because that's the name of the game in growing a CPG brand. And so we brought on um, more investors. Any, any good lessons there, Eric? I'm guessing you had a little experience with that. Not in that level of fundraising, um, but we've learned quickly. So I would say that we've uh, done two rounds, and hopefully by the time that your your uh, um, uh, individuals are listening to this, we'll announce we have a third round ah. uh, of investment. But I would say it, it's at different stages. So initially, um, I would say the first round of investment was people being excited around the idea, 
However, they were really investing in Rita and myself. And I will say that what, what investors are looking at that stage is the confidence that whom they're investing is, is going to be resilient and going to iterate because they know that 90% of all ideas are not going to work or not going to work in the way that the entrepreneur believes they're going to. So the first investment's in the individual. The second time when we invested a couple of years later, we had proof of concept. So we had a cafe that worked. We were a regional brand with wholesale locations and you know 800 doors or so. We knew that we could turn a product out that consumers would respond to. But that investor at that stage still was kind of 50-50. Yeah, you proved yourself here, but are you going to be able to scale that up? What sort of individual are you and what's the skill set behind that? And the check size is bigger at that point. Check size is bigger. Bigger risk, bigger reward, but they're looking for that upside and and you know, fast forward to today, same thing. We're looking for larger amounts to fuel our growth. We are fortunate to be at a point where we've reached profitability now. And so um, all of the the new capital will, will be going to fuel um, new growth in our company. So that's very exciting that to continue to drive very uh, exciting. innovation and the brand. When when you made the decision to close the cafes and really focus on on the shots, I mean, at that point, would you say you were still regional, or were you already selling to grocers around no, the country? We were, we were, we were national. We were national stage. because it was last December, so we were over three thousand stores. We're over four thousand doors nationwide now. And right. were you already selling shots, but you were also selling full size juices as well? So the full-size juice is only a regional uh, experience for us right now. In fact, it's less than 2% of our, of our products out there right now. Um, when we closed the cafes, I think we were probably in about 31 states. Now we are in 47 states. So, Okay. With, and so, so tell me a little more about the shots and what made that – what do you think made that resonate with, with grocers, with consumers, with, with everyone? And is it primarily sold through, grocer, through the Whole Foods of the world or where else can you get it? So we've now proven success in various channels from mass with Target to traditional grocers like Publix is a fantastic partner of ours in the southeast. We're in um, various Safeway regions and um, other great grocers uh, throughout as well as the natural and organics channel like Sprouts um, is a big natural and organic uh, for us. So really, it's resonating with consumers across the board. And of course, that's the sweet spot that you want to be in. Traditionally, uh, products like ours start in the natural and organic channel, and then they might have a hard time making that leap to a mass market consumer. But that's something that we're very proud of. And and I think from my experience with Target and even HSN, being able to understand what um, what all Americans, what all consumers are, are looking for. And like Eric talked about, we've, we've hit with this product that perfect intersection of function and convenience. And dosage. And, yep, dosage. But that is interesting, though, because, I mean, it's, it's not – I mean, it's not cheap. You you have to have a consumer who understands what they're paying for, right? Because you're paying the same amount for one shot that you could get a full-size juice, right? Yep. Of, of some, not Close. your juice, yep. but so, right. Yeah. So, so how is it that you sort of cross that barrier that it isn't just that health food customer, but it is the the mass consumer? I think it's what the consumer is looking for. So, with a larger format juice, you're looking for a hydration beverage. 
Obviously, there's some nutrients in that if you're talking about a cold-pressed juice versus something else. But where the shots have found their home is that it's a nutrient story. It's a function story, right? And we've been able to infer that through the names. So immunity, detox, beauty, energy, etc. More importantly, as a brand, we want to give people something that actually does something. So we make certain that it's clean labeled, that it has active ingredients that actually mean what are meaningful amounts in it, and that they will deliver a high quality function to them to back up that name. And so when you have that, you have consumer trust that happens very quickly. You take an energy shot, you feel a slight pick-me-up from you know 95 milligrams of coffee berry in it, clean caffeine, or whether you have the beauty that you enjoyed today with 10 milligrams of silica. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> You're gorgeous to begin with. Anyway. But, but, you know, food is, is a nutrient story. So as a food manufacturer, we cannot tell you that that beauty shot is going to give you stronger hair, skin, and nails. We cannot tell you it's going to solve world peace. We can tell you that if you look up on what silica is and you check the ingredient that is very high quality and you'll find other studies out there to support that. So we care about what we make. We would not give you something we would not ingest ourselves. More importantly, if we're putting our name and our brand behind it, we want to make sure that you have an amazing experience and we deliver upon our promise. Are there moments um, when you look at what you're doing now and you look at the shots and the packaging is, is so great, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, when you think, wait a second, how did this happen? I opened a cafe and now I'm running this national juice shot business. Is, is, it, is it a weird evolution? Yes and no, because everything makes sense now looking back, right? And, mm-hmm. and so... Just like Eric pointed out that while my initial answer was no, we didn't think that we would ever do shots and wholesale because that wasn't the idea, but we were doing them in the cafes. And then that transition, we saw that 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 made perfect sense and to bring it into wholesale. So it it makes perfect sense where we kind of pinch ourselves is when um, we we look around like Friday afternoons, we have a virtual meeting called Shots and Shoutouts now. Everybody's on a Google Hangout and we cheers and do a shot and everybody goes around and recognizes somebody else on the team for something great that they did for them or somebody else. But where we pinch ourselves is when we look around the team and we are surrounded by such remarkable individuals that have incredible work ethic and that are so bought into the idea of our company that together we are building something amazing that helps people feel good, that helps people um, understand that the decisions that they make every day make an impact on their health and the health of the planet and building a community around this and how um, energized and and committed everybody is. That's that's what is like unbelievable. How many people are on the team? We're about 40 people right now and hiring. And you do all of the manufacturing in Minnesota? Yep, in Minneapolis. Okay. Um, And do you also have people on the team who are developing new products, new formulas? Yep, that's me. That's you. (laughs) So so what ingredient are you obsessed with right now? Give us a little sneak peek of what's to come. Yeah. Coming soon, actually, um, in the local market, we're, we're going to be introducing some new immunity SKUs with uh, different flavors, so different juices and different hero ingredients. So um, we're playing around with some uh, fun medicinal mushroom ingredients mm. for, for one of them. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, there, yeah, there's going to be some exciting new flavors too. Well, we'll we'll look forward to that. Immunity seems to be a very good buzzword to have in your arsenal yeah. right now. So let's talk about this year. If I had talked to both of you in January, what would you have told me 2020 was going to be like for your company? Try to remember before COVID nineteen. It would have been about store growth. However, we're sitting in a, a very privileged place to be able to say that we've hit and exceeded all of our sales growth numbers. However, it's come from organic velocity growth because retailers, of course, have struggled to adjust to the new reality first um, major lockdown and quarantine and how do they service their customers in that environment. Um, and as a result of that, they're not necessarily touching their sets and making changes to um, to what they're offering on the timelines that, that they would have prior to COVID. So some of these transition dates where we would have had an opportunity to uh, pick up new customers are getting pushed out to 2021 or some have not even be, been rescheduled. However, what the pandemic has done is accelerated this movement of people understanding that investing proactively in managing their own health and wellness pays dividends when it comes to um, their immunity. And so they're investing in that proactively now. Interesting. So how do you reach them, though? So you've got customers who are more, you've got consumers who are more focused on health and immunity and taking care of themselves and concerned, obviously. How do you reach them if not through a grocery store? It, so it, it has been through grocery stores. They're, they're purchasing more and they're also um, organically, it's been very grassroots. So when, when people try our product, they feel the difference or they see the difference and they're they're sharing it with their friends and family. We have incredible outpouring of uh, support and praise through social media. And so um, we're, we're just eating it up and helping create a platform of bringing them together and letting them connect to each other and helping them tell their stories. Um, a great thing that we were able to leverage our community for during the first few months of the pandemic was our Healthcare Heroes program. Eric, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So when the pandemic started, um, we wanted to see how we could use our community to, to do more together. More importantly, how can we connect that support that we felt internally, that brand love, to people on the front lines? Um, so what we did is a shot is always a form of connection. And so we developed a program where our community was able to nominate front uh, frontline workers in high 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 uh, risk areas. So um, New York in the beginning, California. Yeah, we had about ten states that we said were the the COVID hot zones, according to the CDC. Yep. And with that nomination, we were then able to send a care pack of energy and immunity shots. Um, about. So we've sent over three thousand shots now um, yeah. to. I, I lost count of the states, but close to 100 care packages to hospitals all over the U.S. and the most uh, heavily impacted areas 
um, with COVID. And, and kind of the amazing thing on that is, you know, the community member would nominate, they'd write a personal message. We'd just be the facilitator, be able to send this care package with some love and extra goodies in it to the uh, hospital. And then we'd see these amazing, you know, photographs of the hospital care workers or the notes coming back saying, thank you. Thank you for remembering us. And it was nothing we did. This is our community. It was more about feeling that emotional support that is so needed in this pandemic in this time, because the reality is we are all in this together and we feel more disconnected now, unfortunately, due to the pandemic than we ever have historically. So if there's anything that we can do as a company to help bridge that and have people feel the oneness, the connection, we're doing hopefully something right then. I, I wonder the fact that more people are grocery shopping online and so they can enter search terms. You know, if you don't know where to find so good, so you at the grocery store, you might miss it. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly in the Midwest, I think sure. maybe in, in L.A., there's a bigger selection mm-hmm. of juice shots here. You're kind of alone next to the produce. Um the fact that people are looking online, has that helped them find you? I mean, are, are you are you able to track that in terms of new customers or customer growth? Yeah, I mean, yes, we are. And, and we've uh, amped up our focus on our website store locator and we um, will be introducing e-commerce in the future as well. For now, we've focused on Uh, excellent execution and fulfilling our wholesale orders to make sure that those partnerships are are supported and the the ever-increasing orders we're able to to fill them so that the people that are buying them in the store are able to find them but in terms of getting the word out you're right and that continues to be an opportunity and one of the things that we will be deploying growth capital towards is educating more people about this type of product letting them know where to find it. How can you quantify at all? I mean, how far beyond your projections for 2020 are you because of the pandemic? I think the projections are true to where we thought they would be in December of last year. So we are fortunate in the fact that where we have um, we have been one of the businesses with a halo effect on this, um, which meant that we have been able to hit our budget and cons- uh, consistently have our numbers, where so many is our ha- so many companies are having more challenges right now. Sure. What has been the biggest challenge? I mean, whether it's just working from home, being together all the time. I mean, I don't know. What what yeah. has been the biggest challenge? You two seem to get along very well. What What is that like? I, I think the biggest challenge, and this is true for almost anyone in this pandemic, um, it's keeping people safe, right? We have half of our team members that go in every day to our plant. Mm -hmm. We have the other half that are fortunate enough to be able to work from home or work remotely. And so very early on, um, even I think by March week two or March week three, we did what I think every business has done, right? We, we looked and saw how can we make the team members safe? We did extra cleaning. We had masks for them. The cloth ones that we brought in today, for those that aren't here, um, Rita and I came in with these cute little cloth masks that uh, um, uh, were actually made by one of our team members before you could buy masks mm-hmm. back in March, if you remember that shortage. Um, and we also looked at the, the difference between our policies. So people that are salary versus hourly, we realized that salary has unlimited benefits in PTO. Our hourly, hourly did not. So we gave them four weeks additional paid time off. 
That way, if they got sick, they could take care of themselves. If they had a family member, they could take care of themselves. If they had a community member, they could take care of them. So they could do what was necessary, which is the most important thing, which is protect themselves, keep their family safe, keep their community safe. We've got you. Take care of yourself. And that has proved to be very effective as we've had a few instances of team members that unfortunately did get COVID, but we've been able to nurture them and keep it out of our plant, which has protected the the company and the family there as a whole. Sure. That's great. Um, You had another big um, announcement just a few months ago in the midst of the pandemic, and that's about your packaging. Yeah, the Better Bottle has been our our biggest innovation to date, certainly the biggest innovation for the planet. So as along this journey of of our company, from the very first day that we started looking at what are we going to bottle the large format juices in, it was important that we picked the most sustainable, least harmful to the environment option. And at that time, the answer was the best that we could do is a 100% post-consumer recycled bottle. And the reality was a lot of people, most beverage companies were not using post-consumer recycled plastic. We always were, always have been. Um, But the reality is that is still plastic. And the reality is that most plastic in the U.S., even when it's properly recycled, doesn't end up being recycled as it is intended because the recycling system in the in the U.S. unfortunately is broken. And so up to 90 percent of plastic ends up in landfills in the U.S. Hmm. And so when we realized and learned that fact a couple of years ago, it accelerated our search for something better. And I'll say that sustainability has always been in our DNA, as Rita mentioned earlier. Everything we do in the company goes through the filter of, is it the best that we can do at this moment for the environment? Um, and so when we learned this fact that 70 or 90% of plastic ends up in a landfill or 70% of glass ends up in a landfill, that we looked to see what is the best sustainable solution. So there's a g- lot of great companies out there that are creating polymers or additives to plastics that can accelerate the biodegradability. The unfortunate thing about them is many of them are still being tested and it's very expensive to add in. So we set out to find a solution to this. And I'm very glad to say, proud to say, that after 18 months, close to two years earlier, two months ago now, we launched what we've coined as a better bottle. And the better bottle is not the end solution to the plastic problem. We used to have on our website six years ago that we would love to take your outpoured hands cupped and pour our juice in it. (laughs) But unfortunately, that doesn't work in a grocery store, so we need to put it in something. Especially Um, during COVID. Exactly, (laughs) right? Um, What the Better Bottle does does do for now is that it takes the normal hundreds of years that it would take for plastic to biodegrade in a landfill, normally leaving microplastics, is it condenses that down to under 10. Hmm. It converts it to water, soil, and carbon-based gases, no microplastics left. Again, it is not the end of the journey for the plastic uh, uh, problem that we're facing in the world, but it is the next step. And I'm very proud that as a small emerging brand, we're the first in America we are aware of to bring this to market. 
Hmm. And and how, I mean, just real briefly, how hard was it to, to find this and source it and how expensive was it? I mean, it's it's wonderfully fit with your mission, but there's also business considerations, I would imagine. So good question. First of all, how hard was it? Depends on the day, but wickedly hard. <laughs> um, but a passion project, of course, um, you nurture from within. So you tend not to think of the hours or the time or the conversations that you have. And as Rita had mentioned, the most amazing thing that we've been able to have and the thing that I'm the most proud of is the, the people we get to work with every day. And so it was not something that I did or Rita did. It was from the inside and everyone else having a touch point that brought this to, to fruition. What we were able to do was to uh, find an economic model that would work. Some things are, especially in the environment, are often looked as an upfront cost. We see it as a long-term investment. And we feel that when you have a long-term investment that is authentic to who you are, that actually can be a bridge between you and your customer to build brand loyalty. So on an economic sense, there is an ROI, but it's not immediate. But that's not why we do it. We did it because we felt it's the right thing to do. And we firmly believe that as a company, you have an opportunity to do more for good in the world than you can as an individual. Hmm. That's great. So tell me where the company is right now. You're in how many states at this point? 47 states, about 4,300 locations. Over 4,000 locations. What are the three holdout states and how do we solve that? (laughs) (laughs) I I think Alaska is one of them. well, we'll, we'll get that. Yes, right. yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get it eventually. <laughs> um, so, all right. And, and how, what, what does the next year look like? And how, how do you plan during this crazy time? Yeah, so we're focusing in a, in a big way um, on brand and our community and strengthening and building that community because now more than ever, especially with what's happening, we were talking about people getting more disconnected. They're craving that connection and we've now grown to a size that our brand is a platform to connect like-minded individuals that align on these values of passion for health and planet. So investing significantly in that and thus building out um, in more robust in-house marketing capabilities. We are investing in supporting our wholesale accounts by growing our sales and account management teams and ultimately looking at where are consumers wanting to buy our product and we want to be there, whether that's online or it's Instacart or Target shipped, whatever that is, the goal is in the next 12 to 18 months, we want to be wherever the consumer wants to have our product. Will you stay focused specifically on shots? Did you learn from all the things you tried up front or are there other product ideas bubbling in your heads? I think there's always product ideas bubbling in the head of every entrepreneur, but every opportunity has a cost. And so I think one of the things that has been successful for us is to be able to whittle away the noise and truly give our team as well as ourselves focus. That's that's great advice. I mean, is that what you would tell any would, would-be entrepreneur, focus on one thing? Focus, but listen, the reality is, is that you can have the best idea in the world, but your... Um, if it's not working, don't beat a dead horse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the challenge is that you you will hear, we have this myth of the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur is the one that 
despite all odds and everyone telling them they're crazy, has success. Sure. And that is the anomaly, right? For most entrepreneurs, it is putting something out there, but being able to be truly receptive to listen to what the consumer is telling you. Because consumers will respond. They'll respond with their dollars, with their voices, with many different ways, social media. And you can either have the hubris of saying, I am right, you are wrong, which is normally not a successful uh, uh, business plan. And and you can spend millions of dollars trying to cram your product or your idea down their throat. Mm -hmm. Or you can iterate, listen to what they're saying. And I mean, that's what happened with shots. We just we pivoted and we gave them a different option. And the the response was immediate. And I think to that end, when you're looking at an idea, the question is, are you looking at a singular idea, a product, or is there a broader vision and the motivating force behind that product for you? Because if you try to listen to what that motivating force is, that's going to be true. And that's going to give you the ability to put something out there, listen, respond, iterate. But if you're saying, no, it's this one product that I have to get across or this one idea, it may be successful. You may be a, a Steve Jobs type of story. <laughs> um, or perhaps you, you have other opportunities there. Yeah. Right. Well, so I understand now the key to success for the product. What about the marriage? How, what, what is the key? We've had several husband and wife uh, teams on by all means. Um, they all come in smiling and leave smiling. What is the key to it's stressful enough building a business? It's stressful being married. How do you do both? I'll take this one first. Okay. Uh, so I will say the positive about working together. And this isn't always true for everyone, but... Um, I get to appreciate the professional side of Rita. Um, I get to see her professional acumen and skill sets. And to our advantage, where she excels, which is the consumer white space, um, identifying opportunities, turning those into products, and then bringing that product to life in a way that creates an emotional connection with a consumer, that is an area you do not want me to try to dabble in because <laughs> I'm not very successful, right? And so I believe the first part is then identifying what you're good at and allowing the roles to have boundaries there. Yes, we still have dialogue about everything in the business, but to know that you've got this and I've got the other part works very well. And I think that's probably true in any part of a marriage. Yeah, I I would agree wholeheartedly. The challenges of working together are that in any business and especially in startups, there's good days and bad days and it's an emotional roller coaster. And um, on the days that you're having a hard day, you both have the same hard day and it's tough to disconnect from that. And it's tough to be a supportive spouse when you're both kind of needing some outside support. Sure. So um, that part of it continues to be um, something that we are working on and and. Part of that is like having boundaries and knowing we want to stop working by a certain time. We're not very good at keeping that, but we're working on it Um, and having other things. So we're grateful for friends in our lives that draw us out. We have a very rambunctious dog that 
every day we get up and we say, how are we going to tire her out today? (laughs) So having other things in life other than the business, because there's always more work to do. Sure. Um, It's also interesting that you come at entrepreneurship from two very different paths. We've we've explored both on this show. I'm curious, you know, if you were to give a, a recommendation, better to have that corporate experience before doing this? Or do you just say... I'm meant to be an entrepreneur, and you jump right in. Wow. Great question. You know, I don't think we would get, we would have gotten where we are without the the yin and yang of of the balance. Especially in our in our realm right now, without Rita's background in corporate retail, I would not know the language to communicate to buyers initially. I wouldn't know what they're looking for. I wouldn't know how to You've have that consumer now, but... touch point. Well, thank you. Um, but you have to have the passion and the impetus to take that leap. And so I think, you know, to read a story and what, what you said earlier is that it's very risky and challenging, especially when a person has a stable job, a corporate career path, to take that leap of faith. And what I find inspiring is when you have people that do do that, whether it is a, a side hustle that they have and they all of a sudden turns to something new, uh, but they test the waters in different ways and ultimately find something that truly nurtures them and passions them. Right. Well, now the real question is, can you do your ginger immunity shot in one gulp? This is my goal. I've yet to do it. Are you two able to do that? Yeah, I think so. Not a problem. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Just takes practice, like everything else. Yes. All right, well, you well, have to we'll... remember, we have meetings that start you know, several days at the plant, and, and I'm probably doing three to 10 shots a day sometimes. So yeah, that's part of our company culture. We start all meetings with a a cheers and a shot. Wow. Maybe we should all do that. Well, cheers to both of you. Thank you for sharing your story, Rita and Eric. Congrats on all the success you've had so far. And I'm sure there'll be much more to come. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, something that really stood out to me from my conversation with Rita and Eric is how the the business they're running today is not the business they thought they were starting. And it was their willingness to pivot and to listen to the customers that got them where they are today. For more perspective on that, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. David Deeds is the Schultz Professor of Entrepreneurship. Professor Deeds, were you surprised to hear that they've completely changed from the original mission of So Good, So You? Not at all. But I was impressed by how focused they were on listening to consumers and iterating how much they understood what their job really was. Right. Um, do you think, I, I'm curious, if they had started, if someone had, had whispered in their ear, juice shots, that's the way to go, and they had started there, do you think they'd be the company they are today? Or did they need that experience of having the juice bar to, to get to where they are? They absolutely needed the juice bars. They needed to be able to be face-to-face with their customers, to see what was selling, to observe your customers, to interact with them and talk with them and get their feedback, particularly early on. It's so important to really understand what works. And then as you keep changing the product and bringing it forward to the customer, understanding what worked, what didn't, and changing it again until you get things out there that the customers are really excited about. And right. then, then you can look at it and say, okay, let's go to distribution with this. 
if you go to distribution first, you're not engaged with your customers. You're not talking to them. You're not seeing and observing them, consuming the product and using the product. And so that feedback, that intimacy, and that intimate knowledge of your customers, you simply don't develop. It's much harder. And so as you see in this process, they went from a real intimate knowledge and understanding of their customers to what appears to be a winning product. Um, and that's a very good process. And right. so that's what was impressed. So, so whether it's a juice bar or, or some other type of, of contact, you really need to, to test it out, to spend some time with the customers up front before you, before you dig in. Is that the takeaway for the rest of us? That yeah, and it's not just right up front. It's you've got to keep it going, and you've got to keep engaged with that customer, of course, all the way along. But particularly in those first year or two, where you're really learning and 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 and, and iterating and changing the product and and figuring out what the best packaging is, or you know what the best size is or form, or God knows what. And that really becomes important, particularly in these first couple of years, where to be really close to your customer and really talk to them. If you don't have something like the juice stores that they were doing, you know, you need to really work actively to engage with customers. You need to spend a lot of your time really understanding what's working, what's not, and interviewing and talking and observing so that you can put the winning combination together. And that's really what your job is early on. Right. You can have a great product, but if the customer doesn't like it, it doesn't make much difference. Absolutely the case. <laughs> Professor Deeds, thank you so much for your perspective and insight. So helpful. And thank you to our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. And thank you so much for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.